On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tunes and Tumblr's Century Club by Atwood Magazine, your weekly shot of what's new in music. Like, share, and subscribe to Tunes and Tumblr's and Atwood Magazine wherever you yell at strangers most on the internet. I'm your host, Anthony, and after months and months of quarantine, we realized that no one has seen Gerald Highwater since we closed down the bar, so we sent Pedro to check on him and maybe fill his food bowl. We haven't heard from Pedro in a few days, but I'm sure everything's okay. In the meantime, mixology genius Liz Brownstein is here to fill his seat and give us a mind-blowing pairing to today's song. No pressure, Liz. We're also joined by Americana singer Sarah Johnson for an exclusive quarantine session performance of her song Volcano from her album of the same name out September 18th. But where are my manners? You already know that drinking alone is a sad, sad business, so I have my fellow weekend warriors here to record with me on this sunny Saturday afternoon. And they are... Ryan, your music connoisseur. And Liz Brownstein, substitute bartender. Liz, thank you so much for filling Pedro's shoes today. I'd be worried if we got anyone else, but I think your track record speaks for itself. Thanks. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) But we have some business before we get to the good stuff. Let's check out what happened in music this week. First, turns out I'm not the only one who hits the skip button when Eric Clapton comes on. In an interview with Double J Magazine, Indie Darling, an artist I constantly try to convince the team to cover in this show, Phoebe Bridgers talked about her new single, Moon Song, which can probably be best described as a diss track. It features the lyrics, We hate tears in heaven, but it's sad that his baby died, referencing Clapton's 1992 song written about the death of his four-year-old son Connor. First of all, yikes. But Bridgers confirmed that she has yet to hear from Clapton or his people about the song. She's quoted as saying, You know, I don't think our Venn diagrams are very connected. I have such an Eric Clapton rant because I think it's just extremely mediocre music. But also he's a famous racist. Specifically, she referenced the time Clapton made racist comments during a gig in Birmingham in 1976. Bridgers continued, Sometimes I think people are too problematic to be cancelled or not relevant enough to be cancelled. I mean, it wouldn't even make the news if he said something racist today. She added, the lyric in Moon's song used to be, we hate Eric Clapton. It's kind of worse now, because it's the Dead Baby song, which is a heartbreaking song. If I were to pick an Eric Clapton song, it's probably up there with the ones I actually like. So it's kind of a lie on the record, but it sounds more poetic. Um, now, I, I like Bridgers. She's a fun online personality and I love her music. But if I may address her directly for a second, Phoebe... What the heck are you even trying to say? I, I am completely lost with your feelings about Eric Clapton. Um, do you do you not like him? Do you like his music? What is going on? I'm, I'm just confused. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ryan, do you want to go next? Absolutely. That was uh, more of an op-ed than a straight news story. That was... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so according to Variety, the 2020 Democratic National Convention announced its musical performers on Friday which include Billie Eilish, John Legend, The Chicks, Billy Porter, Jennifer Hudson, Common, Maggie Rogers, pod favorite, Prince Royce, and Stephen Stills. 
all set to perform during next week's four-day event. In just three days, we will kick off a Democratic National Convention that will look and feel very different than past conventions. It will truly be a convention across America. These incredible artists will help us tell the story of where we are as a country today under Donald Trump's failed leadership and the promise of what we can and should be with Joe Biden as president. 2020 DNC program executive Stephen Cutter said in a statement, these artists are committed to engaging with, registering, and mobilizing voters to get us over the finish line in November. I cannot wait to be engaged with, registered, and mobilized by these performers. Please mobilize me, Stephen Stills. Billy Porter, engage me. Engage the shit out of me. I was going to ask you, because Stephen Stills is there, are, are Nash and Young not interested in coming out? Can't speak to that. You're going to have to ask <laughs> uh, Stephen Cutter. Hey, Liz, do you want to round us out? Absolutely. So... On last Monday, August 10th, iHeartMedia announced the official launch of its 2020 Why I'm Voting campaign, which is aiming to encourage participation in the upcoming U.S. elections, really similar to what Ryan just spoke to. Uh, now, in addition to the presidential election, Americans will also be voting to fill 35 Senate seats and all 435 seat, seats in the House of Representatives. This initiative started on Monday, August 10th, and it's running all the way through Election Day, November 3rd, um, and it features campaign spots on more than 850 of, this, of the radio broadcast stations where artists and listeners alike will answer the question, why am I voting? The list of participating artists is extensive, and it includes the likes of Billie Eilish, Dan Che, DJ Khaled, Fall Out Boy, and so many more. And then on top of that, in addition to these campaign spots, the iHeartMedia uh, premiered the Why I'm Voting podcast as well, which is featuring conversations with celebrities like Pitbull, Melissa Etheridge, and even Will Ferrell, amongst a lot of others, um, all talking about what political issues are most important to them and what drives them to the polling stations. Uh, now, just as a quick little plug, listeners can text the word VOTE, V-O-T-E, to 26797 for any local election procedures, updates, registration information, and a lot more. Um, and don't forget to register to vote. Go out on November 3rd and make sure your voice gets heard. That is my little spin. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, cannot wait to see the Instagram stories of DJ Khaled on a jet ski telling me to vote. Bingo. <laughs> We have the keys. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, if you don't, I highly suggest that you follow um, DJ Khaled on Instagram. It's almost ASMR. It's the same stuff. It's him waking up in his bed, him going outside and getting on his jet ski. And it's the same thing every single day. It is wonderful. But I think I'm all newsed out for the day. Ryan, do you have something for our ear holes today? Yes, I am the ear hole man. I'm the only one who's allowed to have ear holes, but I'm making an exception <laughs> per usual. So we are listening to the Blessed Madonna remix of Levitating by Dua Lipa. It's the first song from her remix album, Club Future Nostalgia, the remix album. This marks her first collaboration with pop artist Madonna and rapper Missy Elliott. And actually, the second time both Missy Elliott and Madonna have appeared on a remix together, their first being Into the Hollywood Groove. Um, she mm -hmm. just announced the remix in late July, posted a teaser, and uh, that is what we're covering today. And I think that Club Future Nostalgia comes out next week. So we're, or I guess this week, by the time this episode comes out, um, release schedules are kind of getting compounded right now. It's, it's chaos. It is total uh, chaos. But, 
<laughs> yeah. And this sounds like a fun one. And it also sounds like I need to pregame before I get my feet moving. Liz, can you help me out with this pregame? With pleasure. So the drink that I have created, actually, well, let's just call it what it is. In true Century Club fashion, um, I am sticking with the shot theme. So I have created what I'm calling the anti-gravity shot. Now, the name is kind of a spin on all the space-themed metaphors that are found throughout the lyrics um, and kind of that almost intergalactic groove that kind of weaves its way through the entire song. Um, this shot is a three-part layered shot, uh, three different spirits from three very different generations kind of mirroring the three generations of iconic women powerhouse artists we have on this on this track. Um, this is also a twist on a classic club favorite shot called the orgasm. The anti-gravity consists of Kahlua, Bailey's and screwball peanut butter whiskey. I'm using screwball in place of the traditional amaretto in the orgasm shot because screwball was literally named for people who refuse to be part of a group and only want to be individuals, which rings very true with these three women. Um, on top of all that, just to kind of give it a little bit more flair, I have added an edible glitter rim, which is in a really stunning blue, and I've added some shimmer dust that is 100% edible to the layer of Kahlua. Again, just to kind of pay homage to all the space themed and to almost the blue can tie back to the eclipse that we do see several times throughout the music video for the song. So I hope you guys enjoy. That sounds absolutely amazing. And I've got the visual in my mind right now. I cannot wait to see the pictures that we have for this. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. So first of all, thanks again for joining us, Liz. Um, anyone is going to step in and do Tunes and Tumblers justice. I'm glad that it's you. You have a great track record with the other cocktails that you have for us. And it sounds like this one is definitely up there with uh, my personal favorite, which is the um, the Valentine's one. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's funny that we chose this one because uh, it's actually my mother's favorite whiskey. And she always sends me photos of her drinking it. It's kind of an incredible story. I don't know how much you know about the backstory of Screwball. Um, it was created by a Cambodian refugee and polio survivor. It's based out of Ocean Beach, Southern California. It's seriously such an incredible spirit. And I am such a huge fan. I I had to include it in this cocktail. Um, and just knowing that Kahlua came from 1930s, Bailey's from the 1970s, Screwball from 2018, really covering so many different generations. It just felt so honest and it felt like the right combination. And trust me when I say, when you combine Screwball, Kahlua, and Bailey's, you will not be disappointed. It is a, a little sweet, but it is so tasty. And it, it just trust me on this one, guys. Give it a go. <laughs> I will. And I think that get, kind of gets into what I want to talk about first. We got three generations of women coming together to make a song. Um, we have, and I've actually never heard of the Blessed Madonna before this. Um, Ryan, do you have any experience uh, with her as a DJ before this? Yes, actually, I do. She actually used to be known as the Black Madonna, um, even though she's white. She performed, uh, she's been a DJ for a long time, kind of big in the underground house scene. And I saw her perform at FYF a couple years ago. Incredibly talented producer, DJ. Her old name, Black Madonna, was a reference to the paintings of the Virgin Mary, um, tribute to her family's favorite Catholic saint. But actually in July, a change.org petition raised concerns 
So she changed her name to the Blessed Madonna. Probably a good choice in the long run. And so, yeah, when I saw Blessed Madonna, I was like, wait a second. Like, I recognized her face on the image, but um, kind of learned in listening to the song that she changed her name. So the fact they got her with Madonna herself is interesting. But I think it's a really great pairing. She's a great producer, and pulling her on this one was a great idea. Yeah, and when I first saw the title for the song when it was released, and I knew Madonna was already on it, I thought that Madonna was just entering another phase of her career. And I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) she's got an even higher opinion of herself all of a sudden. The blessed Madonna. But no, two different people, everyone. They're not the same. And I think that they do, all three of them, Madonna, Missy, and the Blessed Madonna, they do add a bit to the song. You guys have heard the original, right? Yeah. Of course. So what do you think, like, in your own opinion, what do you think that these women add to the song that wasn't already there that improves it? For me, honestly, I think the biggest thing that they brought to the track was the tempo increase. That is a huge plus for me. I think it hits a lot harder with the downbeats that they added. It made it feel honestly a lot more dancey and I could just imagine being in a club with my girlfriends like just so excited that this version of this song came on I also have to say that I am a major sucker when it comes to perfectly enunciated but staccato staccato lyrics the entire first verse just it gave me chills because I knew exactly what she was saying but the 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 tempo at which Dua Lipa sings and the clarity and the downbeats versus the upbeats, it all just is so, it's almost intoxicating to me. It just, it brought everything to the song that I was missing before the remix. So I'm a huge fan of what they brought to it. I also, I mean, I've always been a diehard Missy Elliott fan. You know, she started in 1991. I'm pretty sure I found her in about 1992 and just, I'd never let go. Just such a huge fan of hers. So whenever I see her on a track, I know that it's going to make me biased in the best way possible. I'm going to love the track regardless of, you know, even if they screwed up so many things, I will forgive it because it's Missy Elliott. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking through rose colored glasses over here, but Ryan, what do you think? Can can I, can I point out something really quick? Uh, Liz, you discovered Missy in 1992. I'm pretty sure that's the first time (laughs) that I heard. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I heard her song driving to the dance studio. I was three and a half years old. And my, I, I remember just every time I've mentioned Missy Elliott, my mom's like, oh, yeah, you've loved her since you were like three. So I'm sticking to it and I'm, I'm standing my ground on that one. I think 1992, 1993, I, I discovered Missy Elliott. <laughs> wow. And meanwhile, here I am like driving to daycare and listening to my favorite The Whale Goes Ooh song. Like you, <laughs> you had a much richer musical uh, background than me. We're really going off of Liz's, first of all, that you, you added to that, that clarification that Liz's mom was super dope. We're also taking her word for it. You know, Liz's mom could be lying for all we know. Uh, <laughs> Don't call my mom a liar. <laughs> I said she could be. She could be. Um, so Liz got the song of the WAP and Anthony got the song of the whale, you know, which explains <laughs> a lot about how you both turned out. Well played. Um, uh, but... Yeah, I I mean, I don't disagree with anything you said. I mean, yeah, I think the production on it, which sounds like it was mostly done by the Blessed Madonna, really added to it, speeding it up, adding a little, making it a little darker, the synth stabs, uh, mixing Madonna's harmonies in there really worked well. Um, 
it almost sounded like a, a remix of an 80s dance song that would have been heard on K-Rock back in the day, like a Shep Pettibone remix of a Depeche Mode song. So I think oh, adding yeah. the, dark, the darkness to it really improved it for me. The song was already pretty good, so I, but I thought all these additions were like not only added to it, but made it um, brought something new without making it too over the top. Because when I saw all those people on it, like when I read all the collaborators, I assumed Madonna was going to have a big verse and sing the chorus and kind of take it over. But um, she really only contributed the harmonies to it and didn't really make it about herself. So I appreciated how she was worked into this remix. I, I think that both of you kind of like touched on the fact that this sounds almost futuristic, but um, retro at the same time. It's almost like she's uh, Dua's finally capitalizing on the future nostalgia uh, conjunction that her album is named after. I saw that she said that this album would be a nostalgic pop record before it came out. What, do you, what does that mean exactly to you guys, at least? It can mean so many different things. Everyone has different versions of nostalgia. I mean, all that says to me when she says something like that is that it's going to reference a certain decade or a time for certain people. It's probably not going to be nostalgic for a, um, for a Zoomer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to be more nostalgic for people our age or, or, you know, Gen X, people who live for the 80s. Or it's going to reference a time in a lot of different ways, including the visual. I mean, the video of this is her just kind of dancing with reel-to-reels in the background. So it sounds like this was going to be nostalgic in a visual way and an audio way. It sounds like it was nostalgic for some people, but not necessarily like nostalgia for all, you know, but I think that can be effective. I mean, I think like cassettes and vinyl can be nostalgic for people or give you a nostalgia for a time that you didn't even live through. Throughout the entire album, there's so many kind of strings of different disco vibes or even things from like almost throwbacks to some Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul vibes. Um, There's a little bit of Prince that I got out of there. I don't know if that's completely crazy or not. And even some like, I'm thinking 1990s pop icons, the likes of people like Kylie Minogue and that whole, like, I feel like she transitioned and just transcended so many different generations and so many iconic genres and just picked the best pieces out of each. And I honestly, I thoroughly enjoyed this album. I thought she knocked it out of the park. Um, I think that it does exactly what she expressed in that it is a nostalgic album because it does tie back to these really iconic, like Ryan said, the synthy sounds, the 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 80s, almost jazzercise vibes. It just, it felt very, somehow very true to her, but also very true to generations of music previously. Yeah. yeah, these are the people she got to collaborate for this first single. I'm excited to see who else she got involved with this album. Absolutely. I'm stoked. Well, on the on the album art, Mark Ronson's on there, and I think Christina Aguilera's on there. And so, you know, she's teasing a little bit just with the album art itself. Sign me oh, yeah. up. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit more about nostalgia. I was just thinking while you guys were talking that there's like a big difference between evoking a feeling, which is I think the the core of nostalgia, like you can kind of point to it, but it's almost a little foggy. It's like you're feeling something that isn't quite there and it's just 
becoming tangible for a second and then like straight copycat. Um, I'm thinking about a band that I enjoy, but like every time I listen to them, all I can hear is like 90s boy bands. I can hear them very distinctly. And I think that that kind of doles my enjoyment of it. Um, have either of you heard of the duo Joan at all? Mm, doesn't I ring a bell. Not. Yeah, no. So I discovered them by accident. It was one of those like Spotify discovery things. Couple of dudes that dress like Normcore Ohio, like <laughs> like maybe like late nineties grunge, but like the dorky kind. And all of their music sounds like not quite in sync, but like all of those other bands that were around at the same time that were like kind of riding in the wake a little bit, like 98 degrees, O Town Five. Um and every time I listen to them, I'm like, this is all the ballads that like nine-year-old me would hear on the radio and pretend that I knew what love was. And I think a little bit of why it they are fun, but it doesn't like hit the same hallmark as something like Dua Lipa is because Dua, at the same time that she evokes these sounds and feelings from so long ago, her music is distinctly new. It feels like it could have only been made now. So what do you all think? Is there a line that you can step over where something stops being sweetly nostalgic and just starts being very formulaic? Absolutely. There are people whose mission it is, you know, to completely emulate a sound from an era and are kind of cosplaying as something from from that era. And I think, you know, there's maybe a time and place for that. Uh, Las Vegas you know, probably is a good place for something like that. And that's an art form in and of itself. People can really do that. I mean, there's whole parts of the industry, you know, it's a whole talent to be able to emulate a vibe and a feel. And, um, but you know, it's not too inspiring, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, re you know, referred to as wallpaper and such, but I think, you know, the goal or, you know, if you're, if you're pulling from a certain era, it's, it can be effective if you can reference a certain era, but also keep it in the future and add something new. I think Tame Impala is pretty good at that. Some mm -hmm. people might might debate me on that and say that they're completely derivative of a certain era, but I think they reference 60s psychedelic rock and keep it in the present in a really interesting way. But, you know, if you're if you're just trying to bring back an era and aren't really adding anything new, to me, it's sort of strange. It's kind of, uh, it's uncomfortable to me, you know, going to a night where everyone's kind of dressing up uh, in a certain way to emulate a certain era, and it sounds like that era, and it looks like that. Um, yeah, not sure if that's for me, but. <laughs> and this is to say that we're not shitting on Joan. Like, I really enjoy no. their music. If you if you guys want a track to listen to, um, ease your mind. Ease your mind by Joan is a great song. It'll make you think of a little bit of New Kids on the Block, maybe some Savage Garden. Dance a little around to it. Anyway, uh, what about you, Liz? Do you uh, do you find yourself thinking about that line at all? I do, and I think that as long as there's kind of nuances of nostalgia, and it's not like Ryan said, it's not trying to be straight out of another generation because it's not going to be relevant anymore there's a reason why certain sounds have come and gone they were so iconic and so necessary and culturally so culturally relevant for that era 
that I think that if you were to take a modern day artist and try to recreate verbatim those sounds, it's just going to, it feels fake. It doesn't feel genuine in any sort of way. It does. It feels like a gimmick, 100%. And I think that just tying it back to Dua Lipa, I think that, I mean, she has a, a sample in here from a song from 1932 that I was looking up, um, her track Love Again had a um, a sample from a song called My Woman from Loose Stone and the Monsignor Band from 1932. And the way that she modernized that and the way she used that sample or used the sounds throughout the entire album to, but brought it into a much more relevant entire album. I I just, I really, I respect what she did. And I think that she hit nostalgia in the right way i think she, it's not too gimmicky it's not too much shoving it down your throat that she's you know referencing these other generations but it's there and if you actually listen to it you're like oh yeah this feels familiar it's not an uncomfortably overdone thing it's it's a familiarity that i think it, it brought out in me at least yeah, that, that sample that you're talking about, it's funny because it is a famous sample that's been used more than once. And when I heard it, I didn't immediately go back to 1933. I went back to 1997 when White Town put it in their song, Your Woman. And um, Ryan, do you, do you know what song I'm talking about? I don't know if I, think I do, was... actually. You say the band was White Town? Yeah, White Town. And that was one that was on like a. <laughs> That's like one of those one hit wonders that was on K Rock at like wow. 11 p.m. a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to bring it back to, you know, a little bit of nostalgia of our own when we were talking about Mark Ronson over a year ago with you, Liz. Like, Mark oh, yeah. Ronson is one of those people who uses nostalgia a lot in his work. He adds a lot of swing, a lot of soul, a lot of Motown. And in an interview that I heard, I forget what podcast, and I was like looking through my notes trying to find it, but he was talking about like the reason this works and the reason why he's able to create such popular music out of um, old sounds isn't because he's trying to bring us back there. He's trying to use that sound to push the envelope and create something new create something of the moment and i really love that like i don't i can't see a song like nothing breaks like a heart or you know the big one uptown funk i couldn't see those happening even like 15 years ago i'm gonna have to jump in there and say i could definitely see uptown funk happening in 1983 oh you could uh, yeah that to me sounds like well the big the what a lot of people said when that came out was like oh is this like new morris day in the time you know this mm. parliament like it's an amalgamation of all those things i'm not saying i i agreed and said it was a, a ripoff or anything i'm not saying that but i mean he's a super talented producer he's really good at taking you back to that time but also modernizing it he's definitely skillful yeah. in that in that art but i don't know he he um i definitely think that that was clear to me what he was referencing with that all the references were there and I think the reason you can kind of keep doing this and why, you know, if you can make something modern and somewhat nostalgic, it's always going to work because there's always going to be a generation of people who don't know or aren't familiar with that sound. Like you're going to have people who have never heard Parliament or Morris Day or Prince and they're going to hear that and go, this sounds great. And it does. But if you have no reference point to it, it's always going to sound new, you know, 
what's old is new will always ring true. You know, you're always going to be able to create something that references it. And there'll be tons of people who don't know what it is. And the only naysayers will be old people who no one's listening to anyway. (laughs) It's like, you're going to have like your uncle in board shorts going, that sounds like Morris Day, but nobody cares. Like it's going to keep selling because a bunch of people have heard it or haven't heard it. So it's always going to sound new. I'm curious because I was thinking back to the title of the entire album, Future Nostalgia. Do you guys think that this is an album that future generations will look back on and think this is nostalgic? Will they feel nostalgia (laughs) for this album? Or is this strictly referencing nostalgia to previous generations of music that are referenced in the in the songs it is a clever title Mm -hmm. in that way Mm -hmm. um it's so hard to know what the future is going to look like i think the thing is is no matter what if something is played on pop radio during your youth even if you hated it at the time it's going to be nostalgic to you no matter what in 20 years songs you hated at the time that you couldn't stand are most likely going to be nostalgic to you 20 years in the future because it's going to make you think of that time that time being a time when you didn't think about death and didn't realize death existed and times were simpler and that's what it's all about taking you back to that time so even if whatever was on the radio whether it's Dua Lipa or Billie Eilish all that stuff's going to be nostalgic I think no matter what and I think it's often surprising what ends up having longevity and what doesn't I'm thinking specifically right now, there's a challenge going on on TikTok uh, where it's the electric love challenge. And, you know, Borns was popular, I want to say, like five years ago. And this song from five years ago, Electric Love, is suddenly like really popular among Zoomers who are doing this challenge. And to me, like that's not even one of Borns' best songs. But, you know, because it's been remixed and made into something new, like suddenly everyone's all about it and it's selling like hotcakes. Hmm. Yeah. It, TikTok's an anomaly. It's so hard to know what's going to... Trying to predict that stuff is basically impossible. Have you guys seen the viral video of the two, I want to say they're probably mid-teens, listening to In the Air Tonight? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I woke up one morning and Phil Collins, like, In the Air was, like, number one on iTunes. And I'm like, holy shit, did he die? And I had to immediately go on <laughs> Google to make sure he was still alive. No, it was just a viral video of these two guys talking about how they've never heard a song that drops, you know, two and a half, three minutes in and just lost their minds on it. And I watched the video and it made me laugh really hard because they clearly never heard it before. And it was just. It's I think <laughs> that. That felt nostalgic, 100%, just because it's like almost sharing something that we all know and love and we're all so familiar with, with people who have no idea. But it's almost, I guess the nostalgia more so is if being able to reference that and then being able to say, okay, let's go down this rabbit hole of let's listen to all these 80s songs or all the disco songs or anything that, you know, is already being referenced. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this is a lot of fun, but I we've actually run over our time a little bit. Um, I kind of want to ask one more question before we transition, though, because I, I thought this was a lot of fun. So we've been talking about a remix all morning, and if I, I kind of want to just get a little bit more fun with the idea of remixing. So I'm going to ask you, if you could have an artist remix your life, who would it be and what would they do to improve it? 
Well, let's see. If I wanted to make a lot of money, I would have Diplo remix it. If I wanted to have Diplo co-op my life and uh, turn me into a sensation uh, and ride on his back, I'd have him do that. But I would probably want uh, David Lynch to remix my life because... Oh, my goodness. (laughs) If you watch the new (laughs) Twin Peaks, he actually has a credit for remixing one of the coolest songs on the soundtrack. And uh, he's really big into music himself. I would want him to put his touch on my life in every way, shape, and form. I'd want him to change where I grew up, what I listened to, what I read, what the backdrop was. I'd want him to do the sound design for my life. Um, Yeah, he'd be the guy, I think. I'd want a complete rewrite from David Lynch. What about you, Liz? Okay, well, I think I'm going to take this a completely different direction than Ryan took it. So I'm going to start with DJ Earworm. Um, not sure how familiar you guys are with him. Uh, he literally oh, yeah. will take an entire year of song of the biggest songs and just mash it into one song. Um, so if he could do that with my life and just every year give me like these are the highlights of your life, just kind of a summary. I just want him there at the end. But if I'm gonna have one person, I don't know about it, it, remix. My life sounds very very complicated. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh instead. I hope this is all right. I'm gonna go with soundtrack my life. Um, and just basically provide the background music or the overlaying sound for absolutely everything and the only person that i trust with that is a friend of mine who i was introduced to because he was djing at a nightclub i worked at uh he goes by the the name dj bling um seriously whenever i saw him walk through the doors i knew it was gonna be the most fun night and bartending while he was while he was mixing was just phenomenal so i guess this is both a shout out and a a bit of a plug and yeah i i trust him to dj my life so i'm gonna go down that route instead (laughs) but would you trust him to remix your life i don't know that i know him well enough but i i (laughs) inherently i want to say yes you know what sometimes the original doesn't need a remix the original stands (laughs) on its own you know know what i like that idea i think i'm gonna go with that i don't need a remix life i just want a dj to sum it up at the end with dj earworm earworm sorry and a dj to give me background noise for my entire life and that could be that could be bling (laughs) yeah what you think i need a remix fuck you (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes the remix is worse what about you anthony yeah i've been thinking about this and i think that if anyone were to remix my life i would want it to be Shaq especially nowadays the dude is just having so much fun and he's so eclectic he's a dj now i mean who isn't isn't like like every ceo of a a tech company also a dj um yep but like he just sometimes he'll just show up in public and just hang out there's this really good video that i saw um of him at a interrupters show moshing and the thing is he's like two feet taller than everyone else in the pit and so he's just like shoving people out of the way. And I'm so like, that's bulldozing. the guy. Yeah, he's just bulldozing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if maybe remixing is the wrong word. I think like I would just want him to show me how to remix. Because, you know, he went from basketball star to TV personality to whatever the heck he wants to do now. And I think that's what I want. spokesperson for like every company on the planet. General insurance. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> the advice is never say no to opportunities. That's probably the Shaq yes. mantra for living. All right. Well, these all sound like great remixes, but unfortunately, I think it's time for us to say goodbye for the day. Before we go, any other 
lingering thoughts about remixing, about Dua Lipa, about future nostalgia. Can I just plug what I think is a song that needs a little bit more attention because I think it is so unbelievably relevant and it's called Boys Will Be Boys. Um, I don't know if you guys heard that one, but the lyrics in it are so unbelievably just honest. Um, I ha- I was working with a-, a friend of mine and I mentioned the fact that at night when girls walk home, when they walk into their apartments or their homes, a lot of times they do interlace their keys in their knuckles just for safety. And it's referenced in the song. And the entire idea of the song is boys will be boys, but girls are going to be women. They do not get the cho- chance to be girls. So uh, if you guys haven't heard it, highly suggest it. Definitely, in my opinion, standout track in terms of the the message behind it. So just wanted to plug that one, I guess. That's also a great one. Will do. All right. Uh, do you guys have anything to plug before we say goodbye? Instagram and Twitter. I believe I'm at Liz Brownstein. Find uh, find my radio show at The Occurrence Show on Instagram uh, every Saturday night, 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard. And for me, um, same thing as always, still working on uh, I Hope This Finds You Well, a series of letters between me and Devin Henry and a few guest writers on Medium. We're talking about dealing with mental health issues and housing insecurity and um just everything about quarantine that makes your mind go bananas so check that out thank you all for listening to tunes and tumblers tunes and tumblers is an atwood magazine podcast be sure to like the show and atwood on every platform also please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts it really helps a lot tunes and tumblers was produced as always by drew Franzblau. our theme song is by new new girlfriend And before we go, we're joined by another very special guest. She's an Americana singer out of Dallas and is poised to release her first EP in only a month. We're stoked to have her here first with an exclusive performance of her song, Volcano. Tunes and Tumblers fam, please join me in toasting Sarah Johnson. Cheers. 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 Hey, Tunes and Tumblers. This is Sarah Johnson. I am a singer-songwriter out of Dallas, Texas. And I'm about to release my first six-song EP on September 18th. It'll be available on all streaming platforms. During quarantine, I have been drinking ranch waters. I love the cocktail. I'm a Texas girl, so I love my tequila. So tequila, soda, lime, and I'm a happy girl. I'm about to sing you my song, Volcano. It's the title track to my EP. It's actually available now on all streaming platforms. And it's a song I wrote just about me launching into this new chapter of music. I've been dreaming, I've been working, I've been writing for years, and this is my first recording project, and it feels almost like a volcano erupting out of me. So, Tunes and Tumblers, thank you so much for having me, and I hope you enjoy Volcano.
seems like I am. I feel it rising in me. The things I know I can be. All this time I felt it building. Like a vault.